Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Welcome back to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, November 3rd, 2020. It's voting day. It's a little crazy out there, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I already did early voting, so I could just skip all the lines. Actually, it's kind of nice to not have to worry about it. Now I can just podcast all day long. Yeah, well, hopefully it won't take all day to get this out, but uh, let's get on with it. So thanks first to our sponsor, Order Solutions. Uh, we want to remind you that they're, they're, without their help, basically, we couldn't make this podcast. So some ways you can give back to Order to say thank you is you can actually register for our Into the Box Latam conference going on December 3rd and 4th. Some English, some Spanish, a uh, little bit of everything there. So uh, you can register for that. And we'll tell you more about that later. And also CFCast is our uh, video service where we release new free and paid content every week. So a lot of great content there. And there's a small subscription uh, you know, fee for those who want to get the paid content. And so there's a couple of ways you can give back to Audis for uh, doing things for the community and the podcast being one of them. And the other thing is uh, Patreon support, right, Brad? There's what, 33 Patreons now? 33,000, something like that. Much. <laughs> yeah, there's 33 Patreons, I believe, and that's providing almost 60% of the funding for the podcast. So uh, you guys are doing your part to help out. We appreciate that, too. Um, so we'll thank those uh, Patreon supporters at the end of the episode. Okay. <coughs> and we have a comment in there that uh, Webman, Webman D... I wrote your names in for President Advice, modernize the White House. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not a citizen. I can't do that. <laughs> you, couldn't, you couldn't pay me enough to put up with being president. Anyways, <laughs> that's about as much politics as we'll talk today. Let's get on with the show. <laughs> okay, so uh, some CF Summit announcements. So the CF Summit website now includes more speakers and the schedule. It also looks like they've reduced the conference from three days down to two days. Um, and, well, it depends where you look for that. If you go to the Adobe portal, uh, it still says three days. But if you look on the cfsummit.wevents.com, you'll see it's two days there. So it's quite I a lot of good bad content. now that I didn't submit a session. Maybe they couldn't get enough talks. Well, what happened? Yeah, the, Eric Peterson's in there. Um, They're going to have know. to accept all of Eric Peterson's talks, all like nine of them. It's like, accepted. Across the board, you're on. <laughs> now, there's quite a few good speakers, so I'll just share my screen here. You see, we've got you know some of the regulars: Charlie Earhart, Matthew Clemente, Dave Ferguson. We got Alicia as well, obviously. A couple that I've seen at previous CF summits, and there's a couple new faces too. You can't uh, forget Pete Freitag there, and uh, we got a few few newer ones. Uh, some good topics. Our friend Brian Class, uh, the AWS master, is there. George Murphy will be there. Rick Sheaf, of course. Uh, there's Eric Peterson, Brian Sappy, Dan Skaggs. A lot of these people we talk about in a lot of episodes. Uh, Minvo has uh, some awesome uh, presentations. And, of course, we all know Dan Wilson. So, But there's a Fusion Reactor guys. David Tattersall is going to be talking about how to modernize your app, which I thought was pretty interesting. So a lot of good content if you look at the schedule. Um, the only thing I must say is, oh, the schedule's updated now, so it has the right times. At first, <laughs> these were showing up as 1.30 a.m. Pacific time for me. Oh, I was nice. like, that's a little early, but now it's updated. Um, so. A little time zone problem. Yeah, but yeah, so oh, there's some good content. 
Uh, just so a couple what's of tracks little, by the look of it. What's the little event and local flag at the back of the top of your page? Does well, that let you actually switch between time zones? Well, I think originally the event was in their time zone. It was probably India-based. And then when I went to local, it didn't change until I ref- basically left the site and then obviously just came back and it fixed it. So I'm not sure what's going on there. But that, Now that it's online, though, there really is no event time zone. It's just yeah. really local time is the only time they need at this point. That's yeah. all that matters. So you'll notice there's a, a couple of you know different time blocks. It looks like two sessions going on at once would be the maximum. So you got a couple of you know a couple of sessions and a CF session, then a couple of sessions and then a CF session or two. Uh, I know that there are a, a couple of sessions that they're still going to be adding or planning to add. I heard a little birdie say something about that. So uh, there should be some more added to the schedule soon. But again, two days, uh, a lot of good content, a lot of great speakers as usual. So. Um, pretty good. And apparently, uh, George needs a new photo. <laughs> Scott said in the chat. I'll tell George you said that, Scott. But you want to say the seventies want his photo back. So, so yeah. So some good CF Summit announcements. And remember that's coming up um, here in a couple of weeks, and we'll tell you more about it in the conference section. Okay. Well, here, uh, this is something for you, Brad. So fixes in for Lucy's network drop issues that were, you're talking about Azure, uh, a little while ago. Yeah. And to be, to be clear, it wasn't necessarily a directly a Lucy issue. Um, I don't know if I talked about this in the podcast or not. Um, I had sent some tweets out, um, the other day asking if anybody had had problems using Microsoft Azure and specifically their managed databases where it's all kind of just, you know, out there on the cloud. Uh, I'm pretty certain they use a sort of like kind of master slave, you know, SQL server setup behind the scenes, which can fail over to different physical machines. Mm-hmm. And um, one, one of the clients I've been working with, with Ortis has, you know, been moving everything to Microsoft Azure, you know, Kubernetes, Docker, and a new managed database. And they've been having a lot of problems. Uh, I mean, it kind of comes and goes, maybe like once a week, but it'll completely lock up one of their Lucy servers. And it'll all boil down to a Lucy thread running this is valid check to see if these data source connections are stale, uh, you know, if the connection has been closed and occasionally they'll hang. And we're pretty certain, you know, it's really hard to troubleshoot stuff that happens out on some managed magical cloud, right? Uh, we're pretty certain what will happen is um, every, I never even knew this, every minute re- you cannot turn it off until this ticket. <laughs> um, there, there's a feature in Lucy that every single minute, every single connection of every single data source will be looped over and will call an is valid method on the JDBC driver, which basically says, is this connection still good? Um, which, it, you know, typically probably doesn't hurt much of anything, but this particular client has like a hundred data sources. And you got to think there might be like a dozen or so connections per data source. And so it's like hundreds of these is valid checks, like every single minute, there's no way to turn it off. You can't configure it. It's irrespective of the timeouts, the connection pooling settings. Um, and so it's just, you know, there's always hammering these as valid checks and we're pretty certain whenever, you know, Microsoft Azure's uh, managed databases would fail over, you know, every, every few days while they were doing some maintenance and it would happen to riders when these as valid checks was running, that thread would just hang and it would never come back. And what's, what's really bad about it is Lucy server does this all inside of a big old fat synchronized method that locks the entire connection pool until it's done. And so the connection pool just stays locked while this thread just goes out to lunch and never comes back. And then no threads anywhere on your server are allowed to put a connection back in the pool or get a new connection out of the pool. And the whole server just piles up full of requests because they're all just backed up. 
um, which is horrible for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's this total abuse of a synchronized method. Uh, this is my opinion, but I stand by it. I don't think you should ever be doing crap like hitting the database inside of a synchronized method that locks the entire flipping connection pool. That really pissed me off. Um, just bad design. But anyway, I, I did my yelling at, at Misha for that. Um, poor guy. He has to deal with me. But anyway, um, and uh, Misha also helped me find out that this timeout that's supposed to be passed to the JBC drivers that says, you know, only only wait this long apparently it wasn't even actually working correctly in lucy so the timeout would usually be passed as a zero which meant never timeout which is why these threads would just sit for days until they had to restart the server anyway um uh i i i just complained about the way lucy works but the super cool thing the yay part of this is um i put in some tickets i talked with misha and he did a couple different fixes that i'm really hopeful will help out with this um i think it's one of those things that's like a big problem but it only affects people with like a very specific setup. So like a lot of people never run into this because, you know, how many people have some kind of master slave failover database or a managed, you know, Azure database. It's just not that common, at least not in Lucy, I don't think. So, you know, most of you are probably thinking I never had any problem. Good for you. You never, you never had the magic combination of, of doom. Yeah, um, maybe you didn't have enough data sources, so yeah, it was less likely to time out when you're switching, or yeah. Well, yeah, I think there's a lot of things that all came to play at once. You know, having a hundred data sources, the every minute check, the the managed Azure stuff. But anyway, so the the two new tickets allow you to turn off the every minute validation checks, and the alternative is you would check the little box that says validate this um, connection, and then what happens then is every time a CF query runs and Lucy grabs a connection from the pool, just at the point of use, it says, "Hey, are you still valid?" Um, which, you know, is great because if the servers have been failed over behind the scenes, it'll catch it and you, your users won't even see a problem. So that can be configured now. It can be turned off. The the timeout issue, the network timeout's been fixed. It's configurable now. There's some new JVM arguments. So I'm super excited about that. Um, and it's a good success story of uh, Lucy being open source, which allowed me to dig in and, you know, find how this stuff was being used. And uh, it'll come out in 5.3.8. Okay. Which cool, cool. Hopefully, isn't too long off. But yeah, that was that was my week was poking around at <laughs> Lucy and JDBC nonsense. Sounds good. Well, appreciate you doing the the digging. I'm sure it's going to help other people, even if they haven't realized yet. That may be you know the thing that's been bugging them for months and didn't know why it was happening. And I guess well, you should yeah, ask Charlie, Charlie, if you run into anything like that. <laughs> it's entirely possible it's bit people before, but they just had no clue what it was because it's a very you know weird combination of you know things that come together. I think you're right. A lot of people may have possibly hit it and they just restarted the server and shrugged and like that was weird. You know, they just went on. Okay, so we got a little bit of a fun item here. Yeah, uh, you went crazy today with Ben Liddell's photos, didn't you? Maybe. Uh, I was <laughs> Obviously, I was on his site a lot because we do that every week as we get lots of his articles because mm -hmm. he's a machine and he posts stuff out. But uh, I just happened to run into a couple of photos. There are some older ones. And so I was like, I wonder how many photos he has there. So I looked on his site, and uh, if you click on previous photo and next photo, you can go through a lot of photos. And so I started at number one. Um, and I went back to realize he has 845 photos on his site right now. Nice. So I knew that you could put a URL variable that would make it load a certain photo. That yeah. way, if you wanted to link somebody to a blog and have your photo be on the top, you can, you just have to know the, the photo ID, I guess. Yeah. And so it was kind of cool. Like if you go through the first ones, it's, there's some really old ones way back to uh, 2008, CF United. That yeah. seems to be where it started. And so there's some old faces in here, uh, Sean Caulfield. 
back in the day. And then uh, Peter Bell, you know, some of the names of blogs that I used to read in the old days are, are here. Um, you know, there's some from user groups as well that he gets into. Um, but Sam Farmer, I remember reading his blog posts. Um, mm-hmm. Elliot. Yeah, I see. I see a lot of names through here, and you're like, "Oh yeah, I remember those people." Like yeah. Luis Mahano, we just found his picture. Yeah, I remember that guy. Whatever Dan happened Vega. to him? Yeah, some old ones of Mark Drew. Mm. Yeah, so free handlebar. That's some pretty interesting ones. Yep, but there's you know several different ones there. Um, but Hal Helms, I remember his big leaving Cold Fusion blog post. Hal oh, Helms, yeah. you know, he left Cold Fusion, and then like a few years later. He came back and did a whole series on Coldbox, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm back into Cold Fusion doing Coldbox." And then I think I only saw like four or five posts in the series, and I never heard from him again. Yeah, interesting. But yeah, it's, it's kind of. I never to go got to meet Hal Helms, and I was always a little disappointed because I really liked reading his stuff. I, I would hear him talk at you know uh, online user group meetings. I never got a chance to meet Hal Helms in person. I was kind of disappointed because he left the community. And went over to, I think, Ruby on Rails back before I kind of got into the conference scene. Yep. Yeah, so there's, there's some good photos there. I just thought it was a, a fun thing to share, you know, because we're always showing Ben's uh, side off, but I just wanted to give you a little more info behind the scenes. So I wonder when he's going to hit a thousand, obviously, after COVID. Um, but uh... <laughs> yeah, he's not getting any new photos at this rate. It should be just be like Zoom snapshots. <laughs> the only, <laughs> only way you get to see anybody. Yeah, the funny thing is, there's a few in there with Ben with himself, because remember when he couldn't make Scotch on the Rocks one year and Kev McKay printed out those uh, face masks that you pull over and then you yeah it was oh, a stretchy yeah, wolf are, mask woo, and they were scary weird. <laughs> and there was some other ones that just did paper cutouts with ben so ben could be there um but so, yeah i remember the paper cutouts because everybody wanted that those pictures with ben even if he wasn't there <laughs> anyways let's get back to the real news it's funny so uh the online cf meetup um building great user interfaces that uh that fast Oh, great user interfaces fast with Kindle UI. Sorry about that. I missed that title. TJ Van Toll. TJ Van Toll. So I haven't looked at Kindle UI for a while. Uh, I know that for a while that was really popular. It was one of those, uh, you know, up and coming frameworks and, and everything. So uh, that's going to be held this Thursday, November the 5th from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. Central Time. And I'm pretty sure that's standard time, not daylight saving time anymore. So uh, for those of you that are struggling with that, uh, make sure you get the your clocks changed. Speaking of that, my my laptop did not automatically update my time zone yesterday, and I had to like uncheck what? a million things and recheck them all. I showed up to one meeting early. Oh, well, at least early is better than late. Yeah, <laughs> that's the only redeeming part of a. Well, no, it's not the only redeeming part. The other redeeming part is get an extra hour of sleep. But that's the main <laughs> good part about this time change is if you forget about it, you're at least early and not completely missing it. Yep pretty funny so yeah that looks like a good session there but let's just recap on the the connection pool stuff because charlie did add some information he said it can happen with cold fusion as well as lucy so jdp's jdbc connection pools hanging up on check-in check-out due to a thrown mm-hmm. uh, thread hung in the fetch connection can happens for reasons other than a zero failover too so yeah it's probably pretty common so it sounds like you help make that a little more uh you know fault tolerant at least in the lucy stuff or less likely to Hopefully. break Mitch is actually talking about maybe just switching there's a lot of kind of off-the-shelf jdbc connection pooling libraries now oh, yeah. uh, that you can just drop in that you know kind of have figured out the best ways to do this stuff so 
that may happen in a future version of Lucy. I've like extensively read the code in Lucy that does this. I have obviously never seen the code in Adobe Cold Fusion that does this, but I assume it's probably the same basic stuff. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we have an uh, Audis webinar update. The October webinar was moved, so it's no longer in October. So if you thought you missed it last week, sorry, uh, something came up. We had to postpone it. So it's going to be this Friday, November the 6th, 11 a.m. Central Time. So I apologize for everyone doing that. And so that's the From Euro to Content Box uh, staying on the open source upgrade track. So... Um, so yeah, so John Clawson will be doing that uh, and learn a bit about moving from Mirror over to Content Box if that's something you have to do, considering the latest Mirror changes. Um, so he's actually going to show you a trans, uh, full conversion of Mirror site over to Content Box during that session. So it's going to be a good one. So you can go to autosolutions.com/event/webinars to register for that today. Sweet. Okay. Next up, we have um, a Seattle Seafug hands-on deep dive into interacting with Thinkific API. So this follows up from their October session where they did the sort of getting started with the Thinkific API and if you're using APIs in general. Um, so it's going to be Wednesday, November the 11th, uh, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. Um, it's going to be hosted by William Frankhauser and Liam O'Daniel. Uh, and that's the Seattle Confusion User Group. And so there's a, a meetup for that. Uh, we'll share the link in the show notes. You guys can find out more about that. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed the the first session on Thinkific API. I've, as I mentioned previously, I've used that with a couple of customers and I really like it. So I'm curious to see what extra stuff that he's doing to learn a few things maybe. Maybe I'll even contribute to it. <laughs> okay, in case you missed it, we have a recording link now for the Mid-Michigan CFUG October meetup where um, Nick... Uh, Kayakowski <laughs> talked about Dev, DevOps evolution and Cold, uh, Cold Fusion. Um, so that was almost two hours in the video. So it's a really long one, lots of good content. Okay. So um, you guys can check that one out as well. So One hour, 56 minutes, and 41 seconds. Yep, that was a good one. So definitely should check that out. Okay, so next up, we talk about CFK. So... Uh, just one new video this week. We have um, a CF config. So configure your CFML servers with CF config. And the video is on managing mail server properties. Mm, good old mail server properties. Yep. Which is... you know, it's interesting. I never, I never realized until I was writing CF config that both Lucy and Adobe allow you to have more than one mail server. Um, if you ever look in your cfconfig JSON, even if you only have one mail server, it's always an array of mail servers because the order they're defined in is the order they're used in. Um, for Lucy, uh, it's just the first class feature that you can define as many mail servers as you want. If one fails, it'll go on to the next one. Um, in Adobe Cold Fusion, I believe you have to have enterprise, and then it just simply has a primary and a secondary. Um, I don't mm. think it lets you have like unlimited like Lucy does, but I had never actually realized that you could have like a failover mail server in Adobe. So anyway, just a little interesting thing. If you ever noticed your mail servers are an array in CF config is because there can be more than one on both engines. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's get into our conferences or training, I guess training and conferences. So, so we have some uh, some bad news here. Um, we had to cancel the quick training um, this month. We're still planning on doing it, but we had some circumstances come up, so we're not able to do it. For those who did register uh, with 
reached out and we're going to be moving that probably uh, in the early in the new year because of uh, the busyness in November, December. So we apologize for that, but don't worry, we will be bringing it soon. And uh, yeah, this gives you another time to sign up, John. <laughs> Not to mention anyone by name, but yeah, there's a million Johns in this group, right? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and then uh, so we also have the deploy the conference from DigitalOcean. Uh, it's going to be the first virtual twenty-four hour community conference starting November tenth at ten a.m. Eastern. Um, a lot of great content there, tons and tons of sessions. So uh, if you guys are either working with DigitalOcean or thinking about it, I mean we love it. So if you're not sure what provider to use, you may want to look at that. But they've got a lot of great content in there. Um, for a lot of different things so uh definitely definitely think you should check that out um and then we have a couple more events that uh, charlie actually reached out and gave it to us so um aws has um some events coming up here and so basically there's a couple of pages let me bring it up so i can show you so the modern applications online event so it's wednesday and thursday this week um, and so basically the agenda uh, has sort of two different things so we have organization level operations on the wednesday and the thursday is more the application level design um, so this is a you know in addition to their normal events um, and they actually have reinvent coming up here soon as well so reinvent i believe is going to be um Sorry, my dates on this here. Virtual. Sorry, gotta pull up the link for this here. So, reinvent, which is usually a huge five, six thousand in-person event. It may be more than that. It's it's huge, um, but this is actually gonna be from November thirtieth to December eighteenth, a three a three week free virtual conference. So. Uh, that conference is usually, you know, basically a week long and it's crazy in depth. So if you guys are never had the chance to go to reinvent, uh, this is probably the perfect opportunity for you. So a lot of great stuff, deep dives, uh, registrations available and it's free. I mean, usually this is a pretty expensive, uh, conference and, uh, it's kind of nice. There's some good positives with COVID for sure. So hmm. not too many great free conferences out there beforehand. So. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of stuff that was made available now yeah. when everything went online. Yep, exactly. So, yeah. Okay, we also have uh, our CF Summit updates, as we mentioned. And so CF Summit is going to be November 17th and 18th. According to their website, the, ever, the portal still says the, through the 19th, but pretty sure it's only going to be two days now. So... With that being said, as we mentioned, there's a, a lot of information on the website now, so you can get the, the speakers, you can register, you can get the sessions, all the content is uh, starting to, to populate there. So if you look here, uh, go through it and see what's there, but again, it's free. So register, uh, if you don't want to go to all the sessions, you don't have to, pick and choose as needed. Uh, registration, I'm already registered, so can't see that form. But a lot of good speakers there. So, and they, and they said they've still got a couple more to sneak out. So, definitely check that out. And then, if you guys are looking for this Adobe Cold Fusion online certification or certification, it's now online as well. So, um, you can get certified as an Adobe certified professional through their online program. And 
it's still at the introductory price of $4.99, I believe. So you guys can sign up for that before the price goes up. Um, there's uh, more information on the blog, and we'll share that in the show notes for you, too. Okay, so Brad, into the box, Latam. Are you ready? Are you excited? I'm always excited, man. I wake up in the morning and I'm just excited. So you're going to be uh, learning Spanish in, in next month? I doubt I'm, I'm going to learn any more and I already know, which is just enough to be <laughs> in trouble. In it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just enough to insult someone's mom on accident. Yeah. yeah. So Brad is going to be there. Luis is going to be there. It's going to be uh, two days of good content. Uh, thanks to Google Translate, I can actually see more about the site, but it is focused um, on a Latin community, uh, Latin America, and so that's going to be a- another good event. Uh, Registration is only $7. We're trying to make it really affordable to everyone in the region, uh, but it's available for you as well. So there's some uh, there's some English content as well as Spanish content. I know uh, some of the regulars who come to our conferences are kind of excited because you know they're they're coming from uh, South America and they're excited to see some, you know, some Spanish content as well. So definitely check that out. Looking forward to, to having that. Last year was in-person one day event. It was a big success. So we're hoping that the online event can uh, do just as well this year as well. Anytime you get a Gardado dance scene, it's always a big success. So yeah, that was pretty fun. Okay. Well, let's start talking about blogs, tweets, and videos of the week. So Here's an interesting one to start off. Can you guess who from? Ben Nadell. <laughs> yeah, he's got a lot of good content, I must say. So, <clears throat> so this one's the power of cascading tag attributes in Lucy. So, um, well, it's not always in just Lucy, but this is he always has the version well, that he puts. In he kind of combines two things. The attribute collection feature he shows is is just cfml so adobe cold fusion and lucy both are going to do attribute collection but yeah. the this dot tag i'm 98 percent certain is a purely lucy only feature and it's an amazing feature it's a shame adobe doesn't pick up on stuff like that but yeah. yeah he kind of shows them together to, to create a really nice compelling use case for the two of them yeah so the the cool thing is is yeah he basically ties into this dot tag and one of the biggest selling points for using lucy is the fact that you can put <clears throat> Uh, an add token equals false for every CF location in your I site know, in a I single know. line in a single place. Uh, yeah. And if you're I'll, not using Lucy, that's probably the main reason that most people switched. <laughs> any of you people that have had to do a massive find and replace in your entire code base to find all the CF locations to add in the add token, the Lucy developers are all chuckling at you in the corner because they put one line in their application.cfc. So the, the feature, if people aren't familiar with it, is in your application.cfc, you can declare a struct um, and so it's this dot tag and inside the struct, you put a key for the name of the tag without the CF. So like this dot tag dot mail, right? So mail is also a struct. And then the keys inside that inner struct are the actual attributes to the mail tag or whatever tag you want it to be. It could be the CF dump tag, the CF location tag, any tag in the ColdFusion language. And you can basically create default inputs that instantly apply to the entire application without you needing to go find every place in your code, you have a CF mail tag, which means let's say you drop in a third party library, right? And they use CF mail, but it's not gonna work without a local proxy server, right? Not a problem on Lucy, this.tag.mail.proxy, whatever the heck the attributes named. And now you just added an override attribute value to every single CF mail tag in your entire app. Super crazy useful. This is the kind of little things Lucy's thought of over the years. I mean, this has been since the Rilo days, they added this. 
Um, so, so Lucy has, um, oh, sorry. So in Ben the Dell's blog post, he has like kind of three layers set up. He has like his, his like global defaults he puts in his application.cfc, this.tag.mail.server. Then he creates a struct at the point of use, which he passes in using the attributes collection, which is a super handy thing that's been around since like Cold Fusion 8 or so. Notice that if you're doing a function call, it's arguments collection. If you're doing a tag, it's attributes collection, right? Um, so he can override at the point of use attributes that can be built up dynamically. And then he has the actual CFML tag, which on Gavin's screen, if you're watching live, is a script version of the CFML tag. Uh, then he has, you know, even like the third level where the two and the subject is overridden. Um, and it's a really nice kind of, you know, he, he says cascading. He has like his defaults at the application. He has dynamically built attributes and then the actual parameters to the tag itself. Um, it's nice. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And so I really like this. And, you know, a couple people in the chat didn't know that it existed. And I'm pretty sure that it's, you know, less well-known. I know if you've ever been to one of Gert's sessions, you usually always, you know, see oh, yeah. that. That's like the I've the known about it for point. years, but I could totally see it, somebody not noticing. Lucy doesn't do a great job of documenting stuff like this and making sure people are aware of it. I mean, somewhere there's probably some blog post from 10 years ago where this got mentioned. But, you know, I mean, I don't even know how I'd go find the docs for this. I just I just know it because I remember back when they added it to Rilo way back in the day. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the Lucy documentation of new features, well, sorry, a lot of the Rilo documentation of new features all died with the old Rilo blog, um, which is sort of sad. A lot of that never got reproduced for Lucy, but yeah, lots of sweet stuff like that. Yeah, so that's a, that's a cool one for sure. So That, and that again, was like actually... Sorry, that was actually the, um, not the impetus, but the the idea that sparked the similar feature in command box, where I allow you to provide default values for any argument for any command in the CLI. So if every time you use the RM command, you want force to be true, I totally lifted that idea right off of what Lucy does. That's where I got the idea from. Anyway, yep. side thought. And Charlie also mentions if you have the secure profile, um, the add token automatically defaults to no, um, basically without any code changes at all. So that's part of the Cold Fusion secure profile. But obviously, uh, it's real nice and be nice to have it in CF because there's a lot of other tags that you use it on. Uh, so it'll be very useful. For example, that mail one was a perfect example. So yeah, like, CF dump was another nice one. If you hate like the Lucy Orange. Uh, Oh, yeah. dump uh, styles you can override your cf dump globally to use the adobe cold fusion colors or whatever that's yeah. another commonplace i've seen it used and that's another thing that i'm sure most people don't even know you can do either that you can switch the colors from the rilo uh, you know the old rilo lucy colors to the normal more traditional cold fusion colors some people really hated the orange it never bothered me but i also have like no sense of fashion like whatsoever so <laughs> maybe that's why it never bothered me see look i'm wearing the, the lucy orange shirt right now i I have yeah. no clue. I'm clueless. I know. I'm not allowed to wear my, my bright orange shirts unless I'm going to Home Depot, but then I get asked where everything is. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't work here. Sorry. Yep. Okay. We also had uh, another tweet from you. You're busy on the Twitterverse this week. Let's yeah, see. I think of stuff all the time that I'm like, I should probably tweet that. That might be useful, but I never do it. Um, you know, somebody asked me how to get a list with cfconfig of all the data sources on a server. And of course, this doesn't have to be a command box server. It could be a traditional Adobe Confusion installation or Lucy installation. Um, so I thought I'd just throw it in a tweet. Um, so cfconfig data source list, 
gives you a nice human readable list of all your data sources. Um, and if you wanted to just, just, just have the data source names, nothing else, um, you can do cfconfig show data sources, which will, that command by itself just dumps out a JSON struct of all the data source definitions. And then from inside a command box, you can pipe that into hash struct key list, which actually runs it through the cold fusion struct key list function. And then I even set the delimiter to be comma space. And you get this really nice, you know, data source name one, comma space, data source name two. Nice little readable thing if you wanted to then use that as, use that in a report. It's a quick and easy way. The the person that had asked me that question was doing some automation um, where they would, you know, spin up customer servers and they would, you know, kind of automate inserting of data sources and things. And it was all done with cfconfig and they wanted to be able to, you know, pull the in, pull out that list and be able to stick it into a report somewhere. You know, here were all the data sources that were added kind of thing. So. Cool, cool. That was that one. Okay. So next up. Benadal. Benadal. <laughs> and this one here is generating a QR code with iText PDF7 barcodes. And so uh, this is pretty funny because it's really uh, really old code from Tim Cunningham from like nine <laughs> or ten years ago. And it was using iText5 under the hood. And I guess now they're up to mm. seven or whatnot. And so... Um, so iText used to be the PDF library that Lucy used, if I recall, or Rilo back in the day. Yeah, it looks like iText PDF 7 and Lucy right now. Um, well, uh, Lucy 5.3 switched to the Flying Saucer PDF library, oh. which is based on the PDF from L, uh, 4ML, like I can never say it right. Um, I think they left iText a while back. That may have been also due to licensing issues, not issues, but just the license of it. Yeah, understandable. And so this was a you know a pretty interesting one. Again, not too not too complicated. A lot of people have built these before. Uh, it gives you. Isn't a nice... there like a a barbecue library I've seen people use? I've I've never had to deal with barcodes, but I see people asking about them now and then. Yeah, well, that was the the interesting about this is that, you know a good blog post if you're looking at QRs, it's really nice. He's got the little generator uh, tool built in, but they started a little discussion on Twitter, and I, I thought that was interesting to share too. So let's have a look at that. Um, so. Well, yeah, I know I don't know if that barbecue library does QR codes or if it only does just like strict barcodes yep and so uh ben said he wanted to ping uh <laughs> james because james mowbray has a lot of little tools and everything else and he's like uh using the open source iText pdf codes require you to open source your entire application so that's kind of a is big... it is it um gpl uh well that basically james was saying that's one of the things that you're requiring is it built in does it say something here I mean, uh, that, that sounds like a... Using it free of... requires you to also open source your application. That's it. They do have a paid version, which gets you, you know, so you don't have to expose your source code. I'm curious if it's if it's a GPL license. Um, so I'm trying to see if I can pull it up. Oh, it's a GPL. Yeah. The so, Afro General Public License. So long story short, if you're going to use that, it sounds like you need to, to pay it. Uh, pay for the pay for that, but um, James said using bwip JS or Zint doesn't require developers to open source their code, uh, and so there's a couple other things here. But anyway, so there's you know some other some other just here using other tools. Um, so I like it that you know it's not just a nice blog post. There's a discussion that comes around it too. There's another uh, Java library here, so you can you know a few lines of code and be done. So if you want to look at something like this. 
Yeah, the this one looks the familiar. post is interesting because it's, it's basically writing the QR code out like all the little squares are individually being drawn out um, based on the the byte array of what of what you're encoding in it. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, so that's kind of neat. Nice little functional, you know, using streams byte array. I'm curious if you could do that using any of the cool fusion image functions. Yeah, you know, just to draw the... a series of squares and just render it directly as a JPEG or something. Yeah. Not sure. Pretty interesting. But yeah, I like the fact that it also sparked a little conversation in the community. So pretty neat. Now, this one was pretty interesting too. Another one from our friend Ben. Like that photo. <laughs> <laughs> Who is that? Uh, oh, Matthew Reinbold. I remember that name. Yeah. Okay, so performing a case-sensitive search on a case-insensitive column using Collate in MySQL. This is pretty interesting because uh, I've been working with Postgres a lot for a customer with, with Autis, and everything is, you have to like lowercase everything to do a case-insensitive search. So it's kind of funny that when you actually want to do a sensitive search because, you know, applications... Yeah, usually it's the other way around, yeah. Usually yeah. you're saying, I wish it was case-insensitive, not I wish it were case-sensitive. Yeah, huh. so, and here... Um, you know, old tables, et cetera, may have different collations and everything. And, you know, it may not be appropriate for that, basically, is it's gist of it. And so um, he does some work. And so basically he writes a query. And if you do something like just using the collate clause in the where, which I didn't know you could even do this, which is pretty neat. So you can collate it on the fly to a different uh, collation and do a, you know, do a call. But when he does the explain on this, it skips the indexes. Yeah, it does a all... table scan. Well, yeah, because the index the isn't on the collate. It, yeah, behind the scenes, it probably has to go through and, and manipulate each of the rows to be able to compare them. Yeah, That's so what I liked is he, he came up with the idea of doing a where clause where the slug is equal to AAAA, and then you use the collate. And so by doing that, you actually use oh. the index, and then you only get three rows back because the index... It's able it to optimize it. Yeah, it's able to optimize it by finding at least the matches that are a case insensitive match. And yeah. then on top of that, it filters it additionally with the case sensitive. But then it's a much smaller. I mean, it depends on the cardinality of the data, but presumably yeah. it's not going to match most of the records. Yeah. That's so a again, idea. yeah, just, you know, nothing too special. But, you know, like, would I have a thought of that? Probably. Would it take me a while? Probably. <laughs> so, you know. But next time, next time you need to do it, you're going to Google, and this blog post from Ben's going to come up and be like, "Oh, Ben, you always have the answer I need." Yeah. And so that's my SQL, um, for what it's worth. Yeah. I assume there's a similar way to do it in SQL Server. Yeah, I think the the idea comes about the same. You know, like you can do casting and everything in Postgres. I'm sure you can do something coalescing in uh, MS and Microsoft SQL Server too. But I just like the idea of, yeah, using, make sure you use the index even on something crazy like that where you have to do some weird casting accolation. So here's the question for Eric is, does QB have a built-in method in which you can do aware and specify that and it'll automatically use the correct syntax based on the grammar? Possibly. We'll have, to, we'll have to see. The answer is probably whether or not anyone's ever asked Eric for that or if Eric's ever needed it. Yeah. I can see it not supporting it just because it's not a super common thing, but when you yeah. need it, you need it, you know? Yep. The grammar would be interesting for sure on how to add that. But that's a good thing about QB and Quick. You know, it supports the grammar. So if, if there's five different ways to do it, each grammar can be a little different because 
depending on the grammar, depending on the database you're using, it uses that grammar. So it translates it and does some pretty tricky stuff sometimes. Like if you ever try and do like a, you know, a limit on some of the data sources where mm-hmm. you, there's no simple limit, like give me like the last five. <laughs> sometimes that can be a lot of code. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, in case you're curious, query queries in ColdFusion is case sensitive when you do a comparison. Oh, yeah, and that's because I mean, behind the scenes, it's using Java and Java's always and it's it, it's a significant performance overhead if you have any decently sized you know result set. Uh, because you know, if you don't want it to be case sensitive, you have to you know wrap it in the upper function. Um, and it's not using indexes anyway for QAQ, so that doesn't necessarily matter, but you'll see a lot of two uppercase, two uppercase you know, string calls on the underlying engine if you have thousands of rows. So always something to keep in mind. <laughs> so before we jump to the next article, we have something from Dan Card saying, should there be a rule? I usually call this the bus rule, right? The, there should be a rule that Luis, Bad, and Brain and a few others can never travel in the same car or plane together. Sort of like how the cabinet members are held back for the State of the Union. <laughs> They're saying we don't want all the, the head honchos in the community all going down on the same plane. I don't think that's in out. place yet, but uh, yeah. All right, Gavin, I'll let you take Air, Air Force One by yourself. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so next up, we have a little uh, blog post from Fusion Reactor, but how to secure Fusion Reactor and JSP applications in Tomcat using LDAP. So if you guys uh, have oh. LDAP and you're using Fusion Reactor and you want to maybe uh, you know use that to tie into the Access, uh, I didn't good realize they allowed an external authentication mechanism. Yeah, interesting. I, I is this a new feature, room. Charlie? Is this a new feature? We'll see if you yeah, Charlie. This. Answer all our questions for us, Charlie. Uh, and I'm I'm curious how extendable this is. Like, is it just hard coded to LDAP, or is this like a, a provider based thing where I could write my own plugin for Fusion Reactor and tie it into like my application login? I'm really curious now. LDAP, LDAP, LDAP. This is all LDAP specific. I'm also curious if it requires Tomcat. Like, can you do this in command box or is this using some Tomcat specific feature? I'm sure you can get it working, Brad. So I thought it was interesting. I know a couple of our clients use LDAP exclusively, but we're, we keep Fusion Reactor separate. So I'm wondering if that's something they may consider now. But Yeah, it's to- kind of cool though, because it sucks when you have to manage a separate set of logins you know, for a tool like Fusion Reactor. And then if, you know, a developer leaves or is added, you have to go make sure you update, you know, all those things. It's really nice to be able to consolidate it in. in yeah, especially when you're using lots of external tools like Sentry and then your, you know, all your other external tools does get added. All right, Charlie says it was added in Fusion Reactor 8.2. And of course the current version of Fusion Reactor is 8.5. See, it's dealing with some Realm stuff that goes in your Tomcat server.json. I'm not sure... I lose tracks of some stuff if it's just part of the J2E spec or if it's Tomcat specific, like, um, uh, no crap. What's the thing you can put in server XML? It's a Tomcat. Uh, it's not a filter, not a servlet filter. It's a valve. Like valves are like a Tomcat specific thing. It's not, you know, a, a J2E spec. I'd have to figure out what the equivalent of this would be for like undertow. Yeah. Not sure. It looks like Fusion Reactor is delegating back to some stuff that's just built into the to servlet containers, which makes sense. Unfortunately, that means this probably isn't like super pluggable where you could just like tie it into an application. But hmm. nonetheless, I'm still impressed by this. I like this. See, even Brad learned something on this show. <laughs> Always learn something. Yep. 
Okay, next up we have another blog post from Benny Dow. So this one here is one of those things that you may not know as well. It's something that those who know love it, and those who don't know don't know they're missing it. Um, but <laughs> talking about struct iteration with CF Loop uh, using super intuitive aliases. Super and, intuitive. And I know that different versions of ColdFusion introduced a lot of these things at different levels, and I still have some legacy apps running really old ColdFusion code, and it really bugs me when I try and do this, and it says, can't do this. But basically, there's a, a couple of different ways to looping through. And so a lot of times you have like the old school item approach so as you loop through the strap, mm -hmm. each one gives you the item. And then the newer approach, you get the item and also the index. And then you can also get value and keys. And so this one is much more common. Um, and basically it just allows you when you're looping through just to you know, loop over something and the collection of data and then the item, the key, and then basically have the key and the values. And so yeah. nothing too like special, the, but like I said, like if you didn't know the, the each member function down below and how you would do the equivalent in there, which is basically just defining the named, uh, uh, d defining the argument names in your closure. Yep. As well. So the, the equivalent to people, cause he, he even anticipates, uh, I'm sure people will look at me and, uh, look at me using tags and script and begrudge it. <laughs> so he shows the script version. Uh, one, there's a little thing that I believe is a Lucy only feature, unless Adobe snuck it in, um, in the CF loop tag, which of course in Lucy, the CF loop tag and script syntax is lighter weight than Adobe. You can get rid of the CF. You can get rid of the parentheses, get rid of those ridiculous commas. Cause it's not a function call. Hate it, hate it, hate it. And it's just loop open, close brackets. Um, Lucy lets you do a times, attribute so you can just say cf loop times equals 50 and you're done now one thing i don't like about it is you can't unless lucy fixed this i put in a ticket a while back for it you can't get the stupid um iterator or index variables when you use times because uh -huh. um, i i'll use loop times equals more often than i ever thought i would just for stupid little scripts and things that i'm doing i'm running performance tests i just want to do it in a 50 time loop and traditionally you do cf loop from 1 to 50 index equals but it's just a nice little super simple shortcut to say cf loop times equals 50 done um, but i wish lucy would still let me get the um the iterator index at the same time because i still want to know the number you know, but it's just, it's just a little bit less verbose. Well, that sounds like a pull request, Brad. You should have got that in for Hacktoberfest. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, those uh, those things make it handy. It, it always sucks when you have to declare your own variable above the loop and then increment it yourself to, like, you know, keep track of stuff. Or you kind of have that obligatory line of code at the top of your collection loop where you grab the value for the current your item you're on. Um, I always love these little, you know, things that just reduce the boilerplate in your code. The engine can just hand it to you yeah and the funny thing is uh according to gert um the tag is actually faster than the function-based iteration uh, and so it's a micro optimization as ben says to be sure but you know something to be aware of as well I'm that's still the case yeah because i'm curious why that again. would i'm curious why they would compile to any different bytecode like why would the bytecode be different now maybe there's a really good answer to that i mean i say that sort of out of ignorance but this makes you wonder like I mean, why would Lucy need to generate different bytecode for a script loop or a tag loop? Questions of the ages. Kevin. I don't know. But um, Charlie also mentioned that sadly, CF still doesn't support item and index for collections uh, or structs, wow. only for arrays. And I've gotten so used to using those with Rilo and Lucy over the years. See, Adobe yeah. Cold Fusion, listen up. We don't need 
don't need half the crap you have in 2020. Just give us this simple stuff. It's so simple. It's so useful. The funny thing is, uh, you know, talking (laughs) about, you know, all that here and in the chat, Scott Steinbeck says tabs and spaces. And the funny thing is, I've got a blog. A, That's a the tweet. next one on the list, man. It's like, are Scott, you re- are, you, are you reading is our Scott notes? In our, is he in our Google Doc for the show notes? I don't, what the I don't think so. But uh, yeah, so Zach said, if you prefer Lucy and prefer spaces over tabs, sadly, you're going to be using more memory for your app because the generated Java classes include the source code. And the same goes same for the complex paths and whatever. But basically, yeah, if you have spaces, you're going to be using way more source code. So, um, well, that's kind of funny. <laughs> is that, I mean, I, I, I saw that tweet. I kind of assumed it was a little tongue in cheek. I mean, yeah, it's but not still. a significant thing we're talking about. Um, it cannot know, be turned a lot of spaces. Off. Can that be turned off to disable the source code? I'm curious about that. I don't know. I mean, if, I would also, thought they would minify it, wouldn't they? When you, when you load the class, does it also load the source code part of it? Into memory, I, I'm, I'd have to dig into what actually is loaded into memory as part of the class loading. Same goes for deep directory pass complex component names. Have a look at the files and see if classes. Oh, uh, so he's trying to say that our file naming convention and now that might be a problem too. Then, huh? I don't know. Let me fire up my Java decompiler and go grab a random class file for one of my Lucia servers. Yep. Dude, I'll have to do that. But uh, another note from the chat, Charlie said, for what it's worth, Adobe does often add such little things and often great little tweaks. Uh, and basically, those types of things are what ends up in his hidden gems talk. More to come in a couple of weeks. So. His hidden gems? 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 <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how Gert did a presentation once on hidden gems before somebody was like, yeah, English is dumb, it's gems. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at decompiled source code for a Lucy index.cfm. I don't see, maybe this is a bad example since it's a CFM. I'm just curious where in the class file it allegedly stores this stuff. I don't have any CFCs. This was a super simple app I spun up. Okay, while Brad's doing that, I'll tell you about CF jobs. So, uh, um has over 35 positions right now um, from the last few months. Uh, we have zero new ones this week. We had three last week. None have been posted this week, um, but still go check it out. There's uh, a lot of good jobs listed there. And just for those who didn't listen last week, tisk tisk on you, there are a lot of good jobs listed here. So you can see some of the ones from the last couple of weeks. So position in San Diego, a couple in Canada, a few remote positions as well. Reno, Roseville, another Reno one. So lots of jobs. A couple more in Canada. It seems like Canadians are coming out of hibernation already. <laughs> lots of work going on there. So hibernation. Uh, I know they're actually going to hibernation. But anyway, but uh, Audis is hiring as well. We're still uh, looking for the right person. So I know we've been interviewing a lot of people. You've been busy <clears> with that. Have we picked someone yet? Or are we still going through that process? I know we had quite a few applications. Are you asking me? I'm asking you since you've been I'm, uh, doing interviews. I'm just a cog in the wheel. They they say, hey, Brad, interview this guy. I'm like, okay. Um, no, I'm not sure where we are at. I know we've 
interviewed a bunch of people and we've been talking about them. I think we're also trying to decide how many positions we're going to fill. Yeah. So if you're out there and you haven't sent a resume, you can always definitely send that in. Um, I know we had some, some PTO that slowed down the, the hiring stuff, but sorry, I'm also sidetracked because I'm reading decompiled Lucy source code. I'm not seeing the original CFML source anywhere in these. I'm really curious if Zach can, uh, can clarify maybe what he's talking about there. Or maybe this is on like a brand new version of Lucy that hasn't been released yet. Interesting. Yep. Very but, interesting. Okay, so back to the CF loop collection index. Uh, Charlie found uh, an issue tracker requesting it back in 2016. Uh, he's added the link in here. Uh, so so who, su who submitted it? Was it Luis or Adam Cameron? Oh, is Adam Cameron? <laughs> Man, I, I I swear it hadn't loaded when I made that guess yet. Uh, four years ago. Yeah, this is probably just a handful of lines of cold fusion or of Java code, unfortunately, to support this. Yep. There we go. Yeah. Interesting too. He asked for you know a lot more options. So. And then Charlie's got a comment on it, which. Charlie's great about doing that and uh, so but yeah the bug tracker is a lot of good stuff if there's something that you think should be there definitely check it out um, and go vote we've got four votes on it right now so vote twice today vote <laughs> once for president if you're an American that is and then vote <laughs> for the ticket get all your votes in get them out of your system yep vote early and often on the Adobe tracker yeah, I don't think it'll be too hard to add either but anyways <laughs> all right so we hit jobs i think you did that while i was busy staring at my java decompiler yep so next up we have forge, forge box module of the week module of the week and so this one uh is one of our app templates so when you're using command box you can uh start up a do a call boss create app and then use a template and so one of the templates we have is the elixir app template we used to have an Elixir Bower template, but that's deprecated now. Um, so the new Elixir app uses Webpack um, and basically leverages Coldbox and Coldbox Elixir for all your asset management and compilations. So the idea is, is you basically use res the resources folder and it has a bunch of conventions. So if you put all your resources in the resources slash assets, so you can put a JavaScript folder, a CSS folder, etc. cetera, uh, Elixir will go and combine version them copy them and even uh babelify your code minify them babelify mean so basically makes it work in javascript even if you're using you know new modern things so a lot of the view code that we run uh javascript can't run view files but oh can... so it kind of like transpiles it to like just yep. stock standard javascript even if you're using all the Clever exactly. syntax. Yep, exactly what it means. Bad and so it'll do all that. And then it puts it in the includes folder. And so it'll, you know, do all that. So this is a great starting point. You can add it to an existing app, but if you are going to do that, I'd recommend basically creating a sample app using the Elixir app template. And we can find out more about it on ForgeBox. And I'll pull up that so you can see it. And there's a GitHub repo for it as well. But yeah, so it does include dependencies for Bootstrap and jQuery. Um, and there's actually quite a lot of information. We've even done videos in the previous Into the Boxes on Elixir. But basically, it wraps up Webpack, makes it all usable pretty easily, too. 
which is not a not a hard thing, not an easy thing to do. Sorry, with Webpack, but um, so yeah, so once you do it, you do need to do an npm install. Did I lose um, your voice? Oh, there you are. Yeah. So basically, you know, you get it started to so do a box install, start the server, run an npm install, uh, and then basically follow the conventions. And so uh, a lot of good information. Uh, we use it for a lot of things, but it has the Webpack configuration there for you already. You know, and so this does the hard work for you. It includes some other modules. We actually have an NPM package for a cold box elixir, and it's requiring Webpack as well. Um, but here, you know what this needs? Yeah, so needs you know some, what this needs, right? Some more of your ASCII needs to be rewritten in CFML as a command box module. Yep, you can do that. Thanks, Brad. <laughs> uh, but shows you some examples but this basically mixes your app.js and your styles these specific javascript files and then spits them out in a you know a certain file name but uh definitely a, a cool easy way to use webpack uh it's a nightmare without it trust me i've tried to use it before and i usually end up just <laughs> using the, the elixir stuff um so if you're great with let's webpack, move on to this vs code hint because i'm already loving it i'm seeing it here in the show notes what? You can't jump ahead, Brad. That's not allowed. Oh, I got to. I'm looking at this. I'm like, yes, I need this in my life. Okay, so our VS Code hint tip and trick of the week. You want to tell us about it then? Yeah, trailing spaces. Allows you to highlight trailing spaces and delete them in a flash. I somehow managed to always get trailing spaces in my source code. And part of this may be... Um, because I use I, I use ColdFusion Builder for a long time, and I don't think it helps manage it very well. But I think I'll like I'll be deleting, you know, a previous line of code that was tabbed in, and those tabs will get sucked up to the previous line. And of course, you can't see them. And you go to commit your code, and you get a bunch of white space changes that all you know, are trailing space. Um, when I did the recent um, pull request to Undertow, they have a very strict um, syntax checker built into their build. It won't even compile your code if you have so much as a single extra space on the end of a line, um, which got pretty annoying. But I, I'm just thinking like, geez, I needed this, this extension right here. So highlight all that trailing space, delete them. It's nice. Yep. Yeah, it looks pretty good. I mean, I know that these days with our code editor, with, we have editor config files and everything, so it should remove, you know, or you at least have settings for them for your project. But sometimes, you know, those those aren't set up and something like this the, is kind of nice. Does format have anything for that? Um, well, this will do everything, not just your CF code, which is a good thing, because CF format doesn't no, I know. do everything. I just want to compare the specific feature to what other tools ColdFusion developers currently have. So command box already has a command um, called uh, remove trailing spaces. This was sent to me as a pull request along with a handful of commands, aliases RTS, remove trailing spaces. Um, I've used that before. The only somewhat vaguely annoying thing about it is it is it I have to go like run the command against my code base for it to apply. Um, I like something that can happen just right inside your IDE. Yeah. That way it's just as you're typing stuff is just immediately being cleaned up because you see it and you're like, oh yeah. And the cool thing about this too is that you can say delete only the modified line. So when you do it, it only fixes the code you've written, not the entire file, which Ooh. means that your 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 commit is not messed up because you've got a bazillion I changes. I like that. 
So the the pull request I mentioned just a couple of minutes ago that we sent to Undertow, one of the things that was a little annoying about it was um, they had some editor config thing that had you no know, settings in the repo for like you know how many characters would be allowed on a line and it would automatically break comments and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And one of the issues that we had was completely unrelated lines in these Java classes that we weren't even touching as part of our pull would get these like auto formatting changes, which I don't like sending a pull request that has a bunch of completely unrelated formatting changes just because it, it creates noise you it know. shouldn't have been there in the first place well yeah so that would have been nice if it had only touched the parts of the file i was actually in as opposed to going through and changing random junk but anyway yeah that's, that's a cool feature yeah just real quick here see in the editor config we have a trim trailing sp- white spaces false insert final new line false so there's a, our options in the editor config stuff for that and you can have indent styles and etc so depending on your app you can set those up and those editor config files there's a plugin for vs code there's one for sublime and probably not for builder sorry brad uh, but <laughs> uh there's probably something for eclipse which yeah i know i'm just based on but you. Yep, just messing with you. All right, okay. well, it's well, 105, and I've got some ramen that I'm going to go eat today. Well, then I guess I better get so on with this Patreon supporters here. Yeah, so, let's do it. So thank you to everyone who's uh, spending your hard-earned and well-taxed dollars. Uh, <laughs> well-taxed. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw something in there. Actually, mm. it's not even true because uh, we've got some international supporters too from other countries, and so I have no idea what their taxes are like. But uh, we've got people spending their hard-earned money to fund us, to, to basically support this podcast and the other Patreon uh, projects through Audis, uh, Command Box, Forge Box, Cold Box, Content Box, and all the other Box products. Um, so we thank you for your for your patronage, your Patreon support, and we thank everybody else as well for the issues and you know uh, documentation and all the other Hacktoberfest support that you've given us as well. But these guys are putting down the green stuff, so we have to say thank you to them. Putting down the green stuff. So it's green, you know, it's moldy. Moldy money. Hey, it's still right. valid, right? Who's, re- so, who's reading the names? I'll read the names this week. So thank you, Benidel, Brett DeLine, Carl Van Staten, Charlie Earhart, Dali, Dan Card, Daniel Garcia, David Ballinger, Didier Lesnicki, Don Bellamy, Edgardo Caberas, Eric Hoffman, Gary Knight, Giancarlo Gomez, Jan Yannick, Jason Dagger, Jeff McLean, Jeremy Adams, Jonas Erickson, Jordan Clark, Joseph Lamery, Kai Koenig, Laxma Terohadi, Mario Rodriguez, Matthew Darby, Matthew Clemente, Mingo Hagen, Ross Phillips, Scott Steinbeck, Sean Odin, Stephen Klotz, Synaptrix, and Yugesh Monsieur. So we got a pretty big list there. I'm going to have to lose my breath just to read them all out. But if you want to go see their pretty pitches, you can go to autosolutions.com slash about dash us slash sponsors. And if you want to go to join that list, you can go to patreon.com slash autosolutions. So a lot, right. of, uh, a lot of great supporters and we thank all of you and thanks for those who tuned in live and for the rest of you listening on your earbuds. So have a good week, everybody. Don't forget to vote on Adobe and the presidential election and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this.
The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Blue Tree Audio.